Let us pray. Lord, thank you for another day in our lives. Teach us today how to be a servant, how to live our lives for you, how to lay down our lives for our friends. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When Nathan uh, texted me on Friday night and asked me if I wanted to preach, I told him I'd get back to him in the morning. I said, <laughs> I said, send me the scriptures. Well, I didn't have my reading glasses on, and I looked at the passage, and I thought, you know, I could preach on this. It was about, you know, being a servant, and uh, so we all could learn something from that. Well, then the next morning, I got up early, and I looked at the text message with my glasses and realized I'd looked at the wrong passage. It was on Jesus healing a deaf person, and it was real short, and I said, well, what am I going to preach about this? It's going to take a lot of I don't know. And so Nathan texted me back right after that. It was kind of weird and said, so what did you decide? And I said, can I change the passage? And he said, absolutely. I said, I'm in, especially since the passage was about being a servant and being doers of the word. You know, exactly. So anyway, um, have you all ever heard the phrase, clothes makes the man? Many of us have heard that, but one thing I learned as a young teenager was that uniforms do not make the team. You see, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I went out for the uh, high school football team at Woodson High School in Fairfax, Virginia, and we were an upper-class suburb of D.C., and none of us had ever played football before because our moms didn't want us to get hurt until we got to high school. So... Freshman year, we're all excited. We got the shiny uniforms, the helmets. On game day, we used to be able to walk around with our shirts on, hoping the girls would notice us. And even uh, in the beginning of the season, we had a sales rep from some knee brace company come and talk to all the parents about (laughs) how our kids needed these expensive knee braces so they wouldn't tear their ACLs. And our parents bought them because they had the money. So now we had fancy knee braces. We had nice pads, shiny jerseys. And our first game was against a feeder school into T.C. Williams High School. And they were a city school from Alexandria, Virginia, called Hammond. And Hammond, uh, this was a school where their parents let them play football when they were little kids. They weren't worried about their kids getting hurt. These kids knew how to play football. And when they got off the bus, they didn't have new cleats like us. None of them were wearing those knee braces. Their uniforms were not new. Their helmets were not shabby. We're not, I mean, we're not shiny, but when they got on the field and they started, they started hitting their pads going boom, 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 and they were all in unison. It was like watching an orchestra as they did their drills. We were very intimidated, even with our shiny jerseys. The first kickoff, they ran the ball back 80 yards for a touchdown. We had a good kicker. Nobody touched the guy. By halftime, it was 40-something to nothing. I don't even remember the final score. But I learned a quick lesson. A uniform does not make a team. You know, when it comes to our lives, we know that the external things don't bring us happiness. And yet so often we go after those things. We look for the power, the prestige, the possessions to make us happy. And yet oftentimes they make us uh, feel hollow inside and lonely and disconnected. When I graduated from college and I went to Richmond, Virginia, I got on staff with uh, Young Life. And one of my first uh, 
um, big retreats we went on, we went to an, a national conference in Colorado. And I happened to be sitting by this couple that had been on staff for years. They were in their 60s, close to retiring. And I love asking people about their life and their stories. And so I began to pick their brains just to find out about their career. And they said that God had called them to Chicago during most of their years in ministry. And their first assignment was to break grounds and to start this ministry in the inner city of Chicago, which was a very tough area. And then after spending many years there, they went to one of the wealthiest suburbs in Chicago, and it was quite a contrast. But they said the differences were actually kind of shocking. The kids from the poor neighborhoods were much more connected, were much happier, less lonely, even though they came from tough home situations, poverty, drugs, violence, but yet they were more together and connected than the wealthy kids whose parents often just filled their love with possessions. The parents were gone. They were empty. Uh, they were latchkey kids who spent a lot of time alone in big homes. These kids were more disconnected, more lonely, even though they had all the outward things. God called them to both places. Each area needed Jesus, the inner city and the rich suburban area. But it was a lesson uh, to me, as I learned this, that the external is not what makes us happy. It's a relationship with Christ that fills that void in each of us. There's a, a band that uh, had the, the lyrics. Have you ever heard, ever heard of the band Third Eye Blind? They have a song that says, I want something else to get me through this semi-charmed kind of life. Well, fortunately, the life and teaching of Jesus does offer us something else, a very different value system, which leads us to much better and lasting results than the world's external formula for success. Living this teaching is difficult, but if we trust him enough to follow him with our lives, our lives will not be hollow, but they will be full. Remember Jesus' own words, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Former Archbishop Rowan Williams says this, Jesus is the human event that reverses the flow of human self-absorption. Jesus is the human event that reverses the flow of human self-absorption. So let's look at today's uh, gospel reading and see what Jesus had to say to uh, the disciples about what his ministry and what following him was supposed to be about. You see, two of the guys, James and John, who were fairly prideful and felt like they, you know, were kind of the leaders of the pack, they went up to Jesus and alone without telling the other guys and said, hey, when you establish this kingdom of yours, can we be your right and left-hand men, you know, kind of second in charge? And Jesus starts to kind of challenge that and says, you know, I don't think you guys know what you're asking. And then he, uh, the other disciples, the other ten guys, find out about this, and they're mad. They're like, Really? You're trying to gain position over us. You're trying to do that. Uh, That's just not cool. I can't believe you're doing that. So Jesus meets with them, and he gives them this lesson. He says this as far as what, what greatness and what leadership is all about. He says this. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life for many. See, James and John were seeking, they were going after the accessories. They wanted the power. They wanted the position. 
They wanted the prestige. They wanted to be Jesus' right and left-hand man. But Jesus had something very else uh, in mind for his disciples. He wanted them to become servants, to lay down their lives for others, rather than trying to be first place to be last, to bring about his kingdom in this sort of way. Well, Jesus paved the way for his disciples. He did not leave them on their own to try to figure this teaching out. A matter of fact, in his mission, he modeled this. In Mark, he inaugurated the gospel by saying this, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And from that moment on, he hung out with the undesirables, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the so-called sinners. He challenged the hollowness of the religious people who had become corrupt, who their lives were all about the surface, and they were, rather than leading people to God, they were pushing people further away. He healed people, not just, uh, not just any people, but he healed lepers. He healed people that were born blind. He healed the deaf. And not just healing to them, he brought them wholeness by offering them forgiveness of sins. And then he put an exclamation point on this on the cross by doing the ultimate thing and laying his life down and becoming a ransom for all. And he ended this uh, not just being crucified, he rose from the dead. So this reality of his kingdom, the eternal life that he talked about, was not just a pie-in-the-sky sort of idea. It could become a reality for, for them, for you, and for I. You see, he loved by serving. He loved by not taking first place. He loved by laying his life down. He modeled it. And then he commanded it. He spoke it. In the Jewish faith, words have power. And Jesus knew this. So when he spoke his words, he uh, did it not just one time, but multiple times to his disciples and others. John records uh, Jesus' words in chapter 15, verse 13. He writes this. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. In Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew records Jesus' words and says that, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Go and make disciples. Be about forgiveness. Feed my sheep. These were all the things that Jesus said. It was not about power, position, accessories. It was about living out the faith by sharing your life and laying down your life for other people. Well, not only did he model it and speak about it, he gave the disciples the power to do this. When he rose again, he promised the Holy Spirit. When he transcended into heaven, he sent the Spirit. And the early church was filled with the Spirit. And listen to this passage in Acts on what happened to them when they were filled with the Spirit. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
They got the power to do this. They were filled with the Spirit. People's lives were changed. They served and loved people, and people were drawn into that. And they learned about the saving act of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and many people were saved. And the church grew and grew and grew because these people had this attitude of being a servant. Now, for you and I, it's a tough teaching because, well, that was back then. This is now. It's tough. Well, it was tough for the disciples. But the good news is just like the disciples, we do not have to do this on our own. With God, all things are possible. Remember Rowan Williams' word, Jesus' words. Jesus is the human event that reverses the flow of human self-absorption. When we start to follow Christ, rather than becoming obsessed with ourselves and what people think of us, we begin to give and be part of his ministry of sharing our faith with other people. Now, how do we do this in our life? How do we live in it? How do we, how do we become servants? Well, I want you to think of your cell phones, because I know 99% of you have a cell phone. Even Greg Kranz has a cell phone, even though it's 20 years outdated. But we all have them. And all of our cell phones need to be recharged. If you have an iPhone, it needs to be recharged twice a day because of all the uh, apps and different things. But we need to be recharged. And we do this first by knowing our identity. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, he writes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. If you've trusted Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. He has new plans for you to be a part of his kingdom building business. In Galatians 2.20, it writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, we are participating in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our daily lives by bringing life to people, by helping people that are going through death to know that, that this is not it, that we have the hope of eternal life. John Wesley said that it's important for each of us to spend daily time in meditation in Scripture and with Christ. By doing this, we get recharged. So it's not just our identity It's spending daily time with God by being filled, by praying. Otherwise, we're kind of half-charged. We're not able to have the power to do his work. Besides getting charged, we need to get moving. Eventually, you've got to unplug the cell phone and use it. Well, your lives were never meant to just sit there. We We need to get moving. There's a great book that came out uh several years ago, called Love Does by uh, Bob uh, Goff. And he has a great chapter in there. He said for years he went to Bible study. And he said, I kind of felt like I was stalking Jesus. I knew a lot of verses about him. I knew all about his life. I studied about him, but I wasn't really doing anything with the faith. It's kind of like when somebody has a celebrity crush and they know all about, like, random facts about a celebrity. They know all their movies, but they don't really know him. And Jesus says that we know him by following him and living out what we're learning into the word, into the world. So they said they changed the name of their Bible study at their church to Bible doing. And yeah, they would have a Bible study, but the whole point was it that they were going to do whatever it said that week, and they were going to come back and talk about what they did. So it, just that little nuance kind of changed from just studying and knowing a lot about Jesus to living it out on a daily basis. Another helpful metaphor when we think about getting moving in the faith is to think of our lives as fruit trees. 
Now, fruit trees never eat their own fruit. That would be very strange if he grabbed kind of his branch and, you know, become some sort of science fiction movie. Fruit was meant to be given to others. Everyone in this room has gifts, no matter whether you're a baby or at the end of your life. God has gifted you in different ways, whether it's just to be in somebody's presence, to using your gifts to help with different skills sets you may have. We need to give our lives away to other people, give our talents to other people. We have many opportunities to do that in our, in our own church. We have uh, Stephen ministers that help people that are having uh, tough times in their life, that have gone through tragedy, emotional problems. We have mission trips, both local and uh, international Recently, I, I brought a group to Honduras, as I mentioned two weeks ago when I preached. And, you know, it was interesting. One of the kids, we gave him an award at the end of the week, the laughing award. I've never seen a kid laugh so much on a trip. And I never have seen so many smiles from so many people I brought on this trip. You see, when you serve other people, when you share the gospel, the good news with others, you can't help but be happy. You can't help but laugh because you're sharing in the good news. But oftentimes we think we have to help with these special events or get involved with an international trip or, uh, you know, just be busy, do things with church. These are very important. But it's also most of our lives are lived out in kind of that valley in our day-to-day life, in our jobs, in our family, in our relationships, in our communities. And this is just as important, that we get moving there with the faith, There's a secular book that came out called Leaders Eat Last. You see, they're getting it in these business self-help books that we need to be servants in our business if we're ultimately going to be successful. I have a friend who's a Christian in real estate who said that, you know, they want to find more ways for their company to give back to the community. For our relationships with our spouses, with our grandchildren, with our friends, to give to them, to be servants of them. But it's not just doing that just to be nice. It's doing that because we love Jesus. And that is an opportunity for them to ask us about our faith, for them to share why we go and serve people, why we do these things. Just like the early church met together, they served one another, they fed the poor, God added to their numbers daily. The same thing happens to us when we think about our day-to-day lives and not just the big events. They're all important. But don't forget about that as well. Now, when it comes to our church, I talked about different ways of serving, and there's multiple more from connection groups and ways to get involved, to get recharged, ways to serve. But I want to leave you with an African proverb. I watched a movie recently, and it says this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. For our church community, we want to go far. We want to spread the gospel not just within these uh, walls right here, but in our local community and to the ends of the earth. This is why we worship together. It's not just to be insular, but to live this faith out into the world. There is power when we're together. We can share with each other our ups and downs. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And it's not just men. It's all people. We sharpen one another. There's power in numbers, just like the early church learned that lesson when they met together after Jesus uh, sent them the Holy Spirit. I want to conclude with a story uh, about a friend of mine who really 
in a nutshell, encapsulates everything I'm talking about here. His name name was Dave Ginter. I lived in Richmond, Virginia, like I said, after I graduated from college, and I ended up getting a roommate who was a friend of a friend's. His name was Elton, and Elton's stepdad was Dave Ginter. You see, his mom, or his regular dad, his real dad, had passed away when they lived in Egypt, and his mom met Elton's youth pastor, and they married, and Dave was a phenomenal guy. He was a guy who loved Jesus, who served others, and he was the most encouraging person I ever met in my life. And I only had a few encounters with him. One of the things he told me, he was about 50 years old at the time, and he was still in youth ministry, so that's encouraging to me now. But he said, he said, Steve, uh, finish your seminary degree. It was the little thing. I was like, you know, I just, I, college was tough getting through. He's like, you can do it. So I finished seminary degree. I stayed in ministry, and I ended up reconnecting with him on Facebook several years ago. And as we were chatting, he said, um, he asked me if I was ordained yet, and I said no. And he said, you need to get ordained. So I called up Bishop Lawrence, and I got in the process to get ordained because I trusted Dave. You see, he was a marathon runner. He was in it for the distance, and I knew that's what God was calling me to as well. And then uh, he started challenging me with international uh, missions and ministry, He told me in the fourth quarter of his career, he had led international churches in Nicaragua, in the Philippines, and now he was in Malaysia. And then he tried to recruit me to come to Malaysia right then. He's like, yeah, bring your wife and family. It's great. And I was like, "Uh, you know, I don't think I'm ready for Malaysia yet. But he was one of those guys that was super encouraging. Two years ago, his wife went on vacation, and one of the security guard he had befriended broke into his house and murdered Dave strangled him, stole his money, stole his car. And I didn't learn about this when I went back on Facebook. I said, you know, I haven't heard from him in a while. I'd like to hear how things are going. And I saw this rest in peace. And then I ended up, you know, doing a Google search, finding out about all the, you know, this tragedy. But the interesting thing was that I started reading the people whose lives were touched by Dave. And it was amazing, one story after another. And it wasn't just me. I mean, he encouraged me. We had a a few uh, brief encounters. But here's a uh, one person writes about their their time with Dave. It says on our pilgrimage to Israel, many of us had bowel disturbances. Sorry, but it's a good story. It's just one of those things that we have to deal with when we travel. I remember camping one night in Galilee. We were sleeping on the ground in sleeping bags. One kid had an accident. Dave gave him his own sleeping bag turned the soiled one inside out, and slept in that one. I've never known a man who was willing to make such sacrifices for others, particularly children in his youth group. I will never forget his kindness and love. It's kind of an icky story, but it certainly serves as a testament to Dave's character. See, he was an encourager. He was a servant. He laid down his life for others. And ultimately, God took him to be with him for eternity. What an inspiration. If all of us could look at a model like that and realize that with the Holy Spirit, we can have lives where we're a servant. We put others first. We lay our lives down for other people. Romans chapter 12, Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, verse 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship a living sacrifice. Let us pray. Lord, it's a tough teaching to 
be servants, to take last place, to care about other people like you did, to lay down our lives for others. But Lord, we know that with you all things are possible. Fill us with your spirit so we can go out into the world this week and be doers of the word as James talks about. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.